Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach. Now, in Australia, we have very strong sun and a lot of people get burnt and we do have a lot of skin cancer. Now, this goes all around the world though because people get melanomas all over the world. Now, this week in the Beach Shack, I got Jay Allen in. He's a melanoma survivor. Now, he gives some really, really good tips on what to do to prevent getting a melanoma and also getting tested. That's the most important thing. After Jay was diagnosed with melanoma back in 2008, he then decided to start a melanoma walk across the country, which raised millions of dollars. Now let's have a listen to my chat with Jay. For this week in the Beach Shack, we've got Jay Allen. Now I've known him for a fair while, but he's got a a good story and a good educational story too, I think, for kids growing up and also adults. But Jay, welcome. Thanks, Hoppo. Good to be here, mate. Now, mate, uh, you grew up in Campbelltown. Give us a, a bit of an insight on what that was like back in the day. It's pretty good growing up in, in, in Campbelltown in a little town called Eds. It was a housing commission town and had great mates there that I'm still mates with today. But yeah, it was Pretty good. I mean, there was nothing like it is today, you know, with all the crime and all that sort of stuff. It was really good to grow up there and, you know, a lot of sort of sort of taught you life lessons about, you know, what to look for into the future and some really good people there and loved growing up in Eds. Went to school at John Warby Primary School and high school at Eds High School. Yeah, had some great times there. Mum and Dad moved, bought, bought the, you know, saved up for a deposit. I think it was about $58,000 back then and, and when I was about 11 and we moved over to Amberbar where Mum and Dad still reside today. Mate, it would have been interesting to grow up there. Now, did you get to the beach? Did you get out in the sun? Because, you know, you are a melanoma survivor, but is it something that you look back on that it, it may have been from your early years growing up? Look, I used to play, I played footy my whole life. We didn't really go to the beach and stuff. I was always busy, you know, in rep teams for footy and training and well, my dad was coaching as well. So I'd be, you know, the ball boy and go to the training sessions and stuff. And so, yeah, I didn't really go out in the sun, didn't know anything about the five sun safe rules or, or, you know, never used to apply sunblock or anything like that. So, yeah, it's not something that I did when we were young. We just, mum and dad didn't know either. You know, there was no awareness back then for our parents even. It only started, you know, in the 80s through the slip, slop, slap campaign, you know, via the Cancer Council. Mate, you were diagnosed with melanoma in 2008. Can you uh, just explain how that came about and what you did from there? Yeah, I, I was a truck driver from the time I was 18. My dad got me my truck license because he's a truckie as well and working, you know, five, six days a week. And anyway, the last six months of 2007, I had this like blister looking thing on my left ankle. I thought it was a blister. Kept bleeding. Sometimes I put my socks on and there'd be blood on my socks. So I um, just got on with life. But every time I'd take my boots off at the end of the day, you know, towards the end of 2007, I, there'd just be more blood. And, and I'd be thinking, this thing's not healing, you know, and I, I just always put it down to a blister. Uh, but my wife kept saying, you know, you should go and get that checked. And, and anyway, she'd been saying it for six months. And then we we're going away at, at Christmas. And I thought, you know what, I should listen and go and get it checked because she's been pestering me a while about it now and it's not healing. So we went to my local GP and he took one look at it and he said, look, it's got to come out straight away. And he, he cut it out. He said, it's not a blister. It's actually a mole that's been bleeding and, and changing color and all that. It doesn't look good. And I went, okay, no worries. So he took it out. And a couple of days later, I got the phone call that he said, it's, it's come back as a melanoma. And he said it's actually quite deep, nearly, you know, 1.95 millimetres deep, which is, you know, melanoma only needs to get to over a millimetre deep and, and little cells can get into your lymphatic or your blood system. So he, he was quite shocked at the diagnosis in, in these rooms that day. He said, look, it's pretty bad um, diagnosis. You need to go and see the, the doctors in the city and get an explanation about what's, what's next you've got to go through because this is pretty serious. So I was still pretty positive, you know, thinking just a little bit of skin cancer would be right, get it cut out and, and off we go. But then I went and visited Dr. Quinn at the Sydney Melanoma Unit back then in, in North Sydney. And he, sa he sat me in the room and he felt around my lymph nodes 
um, under my arms and my shoulders. And I'm like, why are you doing that? And he said, because when melanoma spreads, as I mentioned, it goes into your lymphatic or blood system. But he said, there's a chance because of the depth of your melanoma, it's intermediate range. It could already be in your lymphatics or, or your blood system. So he was feeling around for swollen nodes in my body. And at that point, I didn't even know what lymph nodes were. You know, I was 32. I knew you had glands in your, in your neck when you get the flu and stuff, but I didn't know what lymph nodes were. So he explained all that. And he said, look, you have to come back. This is December. He said, you have to come back in February and we will do some scans, make sure you're all right and put you in for the first operation. So fast forward, February 14th, I went in for my first operation. They did a wider margin on my left ankle and then they checked the free lymph nodes in my, in my left groin because he said that there's a chance it could have spread. So I, I, he, he did the wider margin on my left ankle and then checked the lymph nodes that night and, and, and sure enough, it spread. It was in one lymph node in my, in my groin. So he, he took those nodes out, you know, and then I got the results then. I was like, this is pretty serious stuff. And he then said, you know, you're going to need a bigger operation, more riskier operation where you go back in and they take all the lymph nodes out of your groin and, and some tissues from your stomach and, and make sure it hasn't spread. But you need a whole body PET scan as well to rule out the chance that it's spread as well. So I went through that and it was quite scary to go through all that. Here I was, 32, a truck driver. And I was fit as well, training all the time. And but sitting, when you're sitting there in front of the doctor and he's telling you this sort of stuff, I mean, you, it's, it's, it's very scary. You can't sort of put into words what what goes through your mind and your sort of whole life is in the hands of this doctor. So thankfully for me, I went and had the operation. I was left with 44 staples from my stomach to my thigh. And um, yeah, he then said, you know, they're waiting for those results. Two weeks later, he said, you're all clear. You know, you're lucky you listened to your wife because she saved your life. So it's pretty, you know, it's so scary to go through. And then I had, had inter interferon, in a form of immunotherapy as well um, for three, week, three weeks and one day. Um, that was the sort of like an, an insurance policy that, if my melanoma was to come back, it might delay it by a few years. But the good news is I'm now 14 years clear of melanoma, so um, it hasn't come back and I, hopefully it will never come back. And I just do everything you know, I, I can to keep my immune system strong and, 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 and fit and healthy. So, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at today. Completely changed my life. Mate, you said about the your fit and training. So there's no signs physically when you're training that slows you up you know when you get the flu you feel a bit crook and you need to stop so unless you actually saw the blood and and, and that happening you'd never ever know yeah and what happened because i was working seven days at that point i do toll monday to friday truck driving then i do tip top delivering bread on the on the weekend so i was working seven days and saving up for a deposit for my first house and early in the morning probably for the last month before um christmas I, I just feel really off about one or two in the morning while you load your truck and I go to the bathroom and be like, what's going on? I'll just be, it's like a, like a sort of dizzy sort of feeling and your body's itchy, but you can't scratch it. And I told the doctors this and he said it was probably, probably your immune system fighting, fighting the melanoma, keeping it at bay in your leg. So it's really weird how cancer works, but yeah, he's, he's put it down to that. He said, there's no research around it. He goes, but if you're feeling odd, you know, it's probably, um, yeah, your, your body's sort of fighting back. Mate, you would have been going through all sorts of mental health and, 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 and how I'm going to deal with all this. And so how did you get through after the fact that you, you had the operation and how did you handle that mentally? Oh, I didn't handle it at all really good. I was at home probably for nine months after I was diagnosed and didn't have much support. There was no like telephone lines back then or support groups for melanoma and I used to struggle big time. I had this big scar on my leg. I'd have to rest it because, you know, when they go in and cut the nodes out, they've got to cut in through all your nerves and all that. So I'd have one leg on the lounge and just be watching all the daytime TV and be just in another world. You're not even zoning in on the TV. You're just thinking, oh, my God, what's just happened? You know, everyone's at work. You're at home by yourself. It's just so scary. You can't put it into words again. And I had an auntie that probably about nine months later, she, she told me, she said, look, have you contacted the Cancer Council helpline? And I said, no, I haven't. I, I didn't know much about it. And I didn't even know how to turn a computer on. I'd have to wait for my sister to get home because she lived with me at the time and turn the computer on. Um, and then I'd just go on there and just Google stuff, you know, about melanoma and, and it'd always be, you know, someone would die or there was no, no good stories about anyone that had survived melanoma. So I found the Cancer Council helpline and I called them up and they put me in touch with a generic cancer support group. And so I went to that and it just opened my eyes up to all these different people living with a cancer diagnosis and, and how they cope with it. And then I just sort of realised that there was nothing for melanoma. And then I found a, a group called Melanoma Patients Australia, Herman Hurler, who was a great guy. He had been diagnosed, same as me, I think 12 months at the time then. And he, we became great mates. And, and then he steered me in the direction of being a facilitator for support groups. So we kicked off one in Sydney. And it still runs today, Melanoma Support Group. And 
yeah, we just started having these meetings and it was just changed my whole life. I'm like, wow, there's all these different people that need support as well. And it's like, you just get on. It's like you, you talk to someone that's been affected by melanoma and it's like you've known them your whole life. You just got so much in common and you can relate to everything they're saying about the disease and yeah, it just completely changed my life and, and so did Herman. So yeah, great guy that sadly passed away in 2014 from melanoma. So did you realize when you started this support group, how many more people were suffering from melanoma that you would not have even known before you were diagnosed? No, but yeah, I admired all these different stats as well. You know, how it works, the, lymph, the lymphatic system and looking after your body and keeping your immune system strong. Yeah, it completely changed my life. And you meet some of the people that, you know, they're not the greatest people on earth and, and I'm still friends with many of them today. You know, some of them that have lost their mum or their dad or, or their son to melanoma. You know, my mate James Economides in particular, he lost his son, Michael, at the age of 20 to melanoma. And he lost him in um, 2009. And um, yeah, we're great mates today. And we just try and do everything we can to eradicate melanoma and raise funds for research and, and, and get the awareness out there. So yeah, you become mates with these people for life and really opens your eyes up. And what's the, the current survival rate these days if people have melanoma? It depends on how early you catch it, if you've left it too long, obviously the chances are a lot more slim. Yeah, I guess the key is to get it nice and early, you know, before the melanoma can spread, uh, like myself, into my lymph nodes. Or Because what happens when you get a melanoma on your body, a mole or freckle that can turn into a melanoma, wherever it is on your body, usually it travels to your lymph nodes first. So if it's on your back, it may travel to your lymph nodes under your arms or, or in your neck. If it's on your head, it'll probably go to the lymph nodes in your neck in your legs like mine go to your groin or your stomach lymph nodes so i guess the stats are you know get it early there's almost a 90 percent chance everything will be all right but half the time people that don't go and get their skin checked you know and they're out in the sun you know the sun pretty much just cooks their moles or freckles you know you might be brown and tanned and all that but at the same time if you've got moles or freckles it's actually cooking the, these freckles and and moles and and it's making you know these these molar freckles mutate and, and and turn into cancer melanoma or non-melanoma skin cancers and that's how they spread so yeah the stats the earlier you get it the better but i mean they've got treatments these days where you can go on immunotherapy treatments and you know patients could have tumors in the liver lungs or brain and, and they go on these immunotherapy treatments and within you know six to eight weeks their tumors are just dropping away and they become clear of melanoma but sadly it doesn't work for everyone you know we just got to try and find that treatment that's um, just, you know, hones in and just completely clears everyone, but we're just not there yet, sadly. And um, still, you know, five people pass away every day from melanoma. What's the recommendation to get your skin checked? I mean, obviously in Australia, and, and I work at the beach, you know, most days, I'm in the sun pretty much my whole life. And, and I do go get checked every sort of 12 to 18 months through a specialist. But what's the recommendation that you would tell people that are listening today because i'd imagine a lot of people wouldn't even think about going getting checked unless something really stood out yeah probably look i go every three months because uh, i'm high risk now once you've had a melanoma they say you're at a high risk into the future but i guess if you're in the sun all the time like you say you know i'd probably go every six months and but it just it depends what your dermatologist says you know you go and see a, a qualified skin cancer doctor or, or dermatologist and just get their opinion on what they think is best for you to to, to get your skin checked. You know, you, like, I mean, someone with lots of moles and freckles probably should go, you know, if they're in the sun all the time, maybe go every three months, you know, to, just to stay on top of it. But someone that's got, you know, less moles and freckles, maybe every 12 months, I don't know, but you probably have to get an expert opinion off your dermatologist, um, you know, someone qualified to to let you know when you should, uh, uh, you know, how, how, how common you should come back and get your skin checked. With your case, did that happen within that, as you said, it started bleeding, do you think it mutated and went to your, your glands within that six months or do you think it was a process a bit earlier? Yeah, they just don't know. I've asked this question quite a bit to different doctors I've seen over the years and they can't really pinpoint it because melanoma is so unpredictable and aggressive that it could have been, you know, within a week period or two weeks or they just don't know. It could have happened, you know, six months, you know, in the middle of 2007 and but because my immune system was so strong because I was always eating healthy food and all that, it's probably just kept it at bay. Whereas if it was someone that, that, you know, didn't have a strong immune system, it may have gone through their body already, you know, quickly. So I like to think that because I've always looked after myself, I sort of kept it at bay. And yeah, so I really can't pinpoint it when it happened, but possibly in that six months, it, it's just sort of traveled from my ankle to the gland in, in my lymph node. And 
they only found microscopic cells in the lymph nodes. So, you know, your lymph nodes pretty much they're like a catcher's mitt. They catch, you know, the, the flu, the, the bad bacteria when you've got it, and they catch cancer cells as well. And the thing with, with melanoma, what happens if, if, if that doctor had said to me when I went in that day, we think it may have spread to your lymph nodes, but we won't. We've done a, a lymph node biopsy, and that's where they put ink in my left groin where the mole, was, the primary was, sorry, my left ankle where the primary was, and they washed it on a screen, and this ink went up my leg. And what it did on the screen, it went to free lymph nodes in my groin. And it was my doctor's opinion to say that, you know, we think that we should take these free lymph nodes out because it possibly could have traveled there. But I mean, it's his opinion. Had he said, and he said this to other people as well, that I've since learned that, look, it's, it's my opinion that we leave the free lymph nodes there and we just monitor you and we'll get a couple of tattoos and put them on your legs where the free lymph nodes are and we'll just monitor them to make sure you get, don't get any swollen lymph nodes in your groin. Sadly, a lot of people that that's happened to, the doctor used his opinion to not take those lymph nodes out. You know, I know a lot of them that, that, that the melanoma, that they sure enough, they've got a lump in their groin and they've gone, and, and then when they got that checked, it's been elsewhere in their body and they sadly they've died. So, I mean, Dr. Michael Quinn, he saved my life and, you know, given that opinion that he should take these lymph nodes out because sure enough, had he left them there because it was in, found in the microscopic cells in the one lymph node, you know, even a couple of months later, I possibly would have got a lump and that would have given the, the chance for the cells to spread, you know, probably to my liver, lungs and brain. And I, I wouldn't be here today. So I credit Michael Quinn, you know, saving my life. I mean, it's just all this stuff just blows your mind. You know, you think from a mole or freckle on your body, but yet here you are getting all these tests done and they trace it to where possibly could be in the lymph nodes and stuff. So, you know, chasing that tan and, uh, um, you know, and not having your skin checked, it's just not worth it. I mean, Life is so precious, you know, you've, you've got your family and it's not till you're in your 20s, 30s or 40s that, you know, if you do get diagnosed with melanoma, you wish far out, I, I wish I had got my skin checked and been on top of this thing. And that's where education campaigns and, and awareness come into it. Yeah, I'm glad we're doing this interview today, Hoppo. It's, it's really good, mate. Mate, it's great to have you in. And, and I know someone that's, uh, you know, she was quite, you know, pale and, and, and that, and, and, but she got one in her head, in, in, underneath the hair. Now, she always wore hats and things, so would that be uh, something that she was just prone to the sun, so it would only take a, a small amount of sunlight to create something like that? Yeah, look, I mean, someone, melanoma can be passed on through family history. It's about 10% chance. So if someone in your family's had it, that could put you at risk as well. But it could have been that one time she went out in the sun when she was young, you know, and she's got burned and she had short hair or, you know, the hair was parted and the sun got onto it and just... They just, they just can't pinpoint how exactly this thing, how quickly it can escalate. You know, and some people get melanoma where, uh, you know, they might get on spots and unexposed to the sun as well. Like, you know, as you say, under the hairline or or even like, you know, on, on areas where you just on your backside or in your inner groin or on your arms, you know, it happens all the time. And, you know, sadly, they just can't pinpoint it. Um, but it's in that 10% where someone in your family's either had it or, um, um, or you're just bad luck. You've just got a melanoma. And the other thing that happens as well is, People may feel odd, feel sick and that they've got melanoma tumors in their body, but they can't find the primary, the primary source of where it's come from. So what they're saying is, is the mole or freckle on your body that's turned into a melanoma, your actual immune system has eaten up the mole or freckle, but it's too late that, you know, sadly the cells have gotten away before the immune system's got to it. So yeah, that's happened. That happens a fair bit, actually. People get melanoma and they can't find the primary. So yeah, I guess it just comes down to getting your skin checked regularly. And, and you should be getting a skin check all over, you know, from head to toe. And it shouldn't take any less than 15, 20 minutes to get a skin check. And, you know, if you're going in to see a doctor and he's just looking at you quickly over your arm and he hasn't got the, you know, the scope, the, the dermoscope to have a look and he's looking at everything closely and on a monitor, you know, you're not getting a proper skin check. So you really should be getting your skin check properly. I mean, you know, you do get charged a lot these days for skin checks. So, um, you know, you should be getting your money's worth and, and certainly say, look, you're not, I don't feel that I'm getting a proper skin check. Can I get a referral and go and see a dermatologist? I mean, you know, 100% of all the dermatologists usually do a good thing and, and check your body all over, you know. Of course, they're human. Some doctors do make mistakes where they probably should have took the melanoma out, the mole or freckle out, and they didn't. And sadly, you know, they, they, they monitor these things and they do turn into melanomas. And, you know, I have had feedback where patients have gone, you know, I should have just got you to cut it out 12 months ago when I asked, you know, but... I guess it just comes down to the treating doctor, but I mean, they're humans as well, you know? So, but my my thing is, if, if you're genuinely concerned about some mole or freckle on your body and you think it could be something, then it's good to just say to the doc doctor, look, I, I don't feel good about this thing. Can you just cut it out for me, please? And, you know, they have to do what you, what you tell them to. So it's probably good advice from me, yeah. 
Mate, you mentioned about the price, and, and I hear people say, oh, I'm not going because it's too expensive and, you know, they've got all these other you know, scenarios going through their head. But it could be that one time that, you know, or they wait until something really stands out and it could be too late. 100% Hoppo, 100% mate. So I put a post up on my Melanoma Man Facebook page last weekend and we're going to start getting working groups together for, for our new charity, the Australian Skin Cancer Foundation, on this particular issue and people can check it out. You know, uh, there's so many people have put comments on there. You know, they go to one institution, they get charged $1,600 to to get a skin check, you know, and they just, some people write, I just can't afford it to get my skin checked. And um, we're going to try and advocate to the government and, and work with the doctors and and, and dermatologists and, and try and, you know, get the government to look at this and try and make a, a standard price, you know, across the whole platform because um, it's just not good enough. You know, we can't have people not going because they can't afford it. I mean, you know, some, and it's not, it's not the same price all over. Some people might charge $1,600, you know, to get, you know, four or five moles cut out and, other people might charge, you know, three hundred dollars to get moles cut out, and it's just not the same price across the whole practice. So, um, yeah, we're certainly working on that as part of the Australian Skin Cancer Foundation. It's one of our first goals, and under our pillar of of, of advocacy, um, and we want to change that. So, yeah, looking forward to changing how we, you know, how we can make change there. And you are pushing with the the, the government lobbying there to, to try and get this uh, sorted out with the pricing. Hundred percent. Yeah, we're going to. I, I put the post up last weekend, and we got you know over fifteen emails sent through from different people that are interested in coming on this working group. So we're going to certainly start now. We're going to have a meeting, possibly next week, a Zoom meeting, get everyone on the line, and and see how we can come together and and, and try and you know make make a difference in this country of ours because it's not good enough. You know, Australia having the highest incident rate of melanoma in the world, but yet you know we've got these different prices, and people just can't afford to get skin checks. So. You know, the dermatologists, they're, I'm sure they're, they're all good people trying to do their best. So I'm sure we can work with them and, and try and make it, you know, even for everyone. And at the end of the day, save, save a lot of lives. So, yeah, we're definitely, definitely going to move forward on that. Do you think the melanoma cancer is increasing in Australia? Yeah, it is. It is, mate. It's the most common between 15 and 39-year-olds in Australia. You know, if you look at the stats every year, you know, it used to be 1,100 people get diagnosed, you know, now, sorry, 11,000 people get diagnosed. Now it's up to, you know, 14, 15,000 people are getting diagnosed each year. So it's just going up. I mean, you look at the hole in the ozone layer and, you know, the, the, you go out in the sun these days. I mean, within 10, 15 minutes, you can, if you haven't got any sunblock on or you're not protecting yourself, you know, you get a bit of color. I mean, I put sunblock on all the time. I reapply every two hours and I still, you know, in the, in the sun when I have to do something out there, even though I try to be sun safe, but you still get a bit of color on you. It's just almost impossible. But um, I've just got to make sure I get my skin checked every three months and stay on top of this thing. But it is going up, I think, I feel, yeah. Also, I hear, especially working around the beaches and that, you see the younger generation and you always hear they think that sunscreen's got so many toxins in it, it's going to affect them more than what the sun is what's is there something come out in that yeah there's been a lot of stories about that you know particular brands have got some sort of carcinogenic you know chemical in them that can give you cancer and stuff i mean you just have to i guess whatever works for you and do your own research and find out you know what chemicals are in your sunscreen that you're using and and run with that And, and it's also good to look at expiry dates on on your sunblock as well you know a lot of a lot of people get the big pump action sunblocks and they've had it for years, you know, and they use it. But when it's expired, it's, you know, it's, it's not as, as strong as, as, as something that, you you know, within that expiry date. So you have to keep an eye on that as well. And also when, you, when you've got your sunblock in the car and you've got it on the front seat and you're at the beach all day, you know, that your sunblock can get cooked as well and it's no good then as well. So, you know, always make sure you've got your sun cream up to date. Yeah, stay on top of it and just, just use whatever works for you, I think. But, yeah, it's a, it's a way to go. And I've, I've learned this stuff off, off professors that I've asked about this sort of stuff. But it is a concern. What is in this sunblock? Are we going to find out in 20 years, you know, that, that you know, the sunblock is your cancer? You know, you just don't know. But there's not enough research at the moment to sort of pinpoint that from what I know. Reapplying it. You see people that put the sunscreen on and they turn up at the beach, but then they don't put any more on for the next four or five hours. Uh, yeah. And then they end up being, getting scorched. Yeah, it's true. And I've heard it so many times. And, and you see articles in, you know, uh, those sort of magazines where people have, you know, put sunblock on and the, and, the, and the media sort of coming down heavy on the particular brand of sunblock. But you're right, mate, they probably didn't reapply. They put it on once in the morning. And, and, and when you put it on, you've really got to rub it into your skin and, you know, and then put it in the palms of your hands and then just really rub it in on all the on areas that are going to be exposed to the sun that day and, and then reapply every two hours. Those people will probably put it on 
you know, not 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 thick laying on, on their skin, and then they've gone out and got burned, and then they've putting it on social media that they, you know, they've been scorched and they've got blisters and stuff. And a lot of the time, if they're, they're putting it on properly, um, and you know, using a good brand, we we recommend, um, you know, the Australian Skin Cancer Foundation, anything fifty plus is good to use. And there's lots of good brands out there, but you know, you should be reapplying every two hours and. And especially our kids as well, you know, maybe make it a habit when when they're brushing their teeth in the morning, have a pump action um, sunblock there, and they reapply sunblock. You know, make it a habit like when they brush their teeth, they put sunblock on every morning, put it in their bag so they can reapply just before they go out for recess and lunch and stuff like that. It's it's really important. I mean, to do this, you know, they're they're our future generations, and you know, in schools, it's it's, it's you know, the sun smart no hat policy is is in there for primary schools, you know, but when you get to year, high school, year seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, it breaks down and, and you know, that's what we've got to fix and, and we're going to work on that as well as part of the, the foundation is um, just make change and, and be the patient voice, you know, articulate, you know, all these messages to the government and try and make change, mate, and do what's do what's right for the, the people that have been affected and um, that's what we're going to do at the foundation and just more, so much more work needs to be done and, yeah, that's why we've just started this foundation to get out there and make a difference and, really, you know, work with the people that have been affected because they know they're the experts because they've been through it. Mate, you're doing a great job out there and I've been uh, keeping a close eye on what you're doing and it, I think it's magnificent. That's why I wanted to get you on the, the podcast because people just don't hear from the source, you know, what that you've been through it, you've, you've been through the whole lot, you've researched it and now you're, you're trying to help other people, which I think is great. And now, guys down the beach, the other part was they – don't put it on behind the back of their ears or the back of their, their legs, behind the knees. As the sun sets at Bondi, you cop that all afternoon in the back of your the legs and the behind your ears. And there's other areas that people probably don't even think of putting sunscreen. Yeah, that's right. And behind your ears is a really important one. I know many stories. Um, I had a young girl, Morgan, in, in Melbourne. She was a beautiful young lady. She was only 25 and she had a mole on her ear and she kept going back to the doctor and asking him to cut the mole out and he and he delayed it and then sadly it spread to her nose and she passed away and but she used to go out and you know sometimes not not be protected and, and the sun you know I mean your ears if you look at it the sun would just hit it every day in the back of your neck you know and also here this part of your skin here you know how many times you take your shirt off and you you've been burnt right here I mean you just got to, every area that's going to be exposed during the day where you're not going to be protected if you're not following the five sun safe rules then yeah you need to apply sunblock it's really important. Or if you if you're worried about sunblock and the carcinogens, you know the the the, the, bat, the toxins in the sunblock, just protect yourself. You know, take an umbrella to the beach, you know, and, and stay out. You know, when it's when it's the hottest part of the day, which in summer is from ten to four, or winter, you know, from eleven to two. They're the, they're the times that the UV is at its peak. So I know it's crazy to think, you know, but everyone goes out in the sun and has a good time. But I mean, you know, you can go out early in the morning or late in the afternoon and and be safe from a lot of people think they've got to go out in the middle of the day and get their vitamin D as well. And, and this is something that comes up. I've asked some of the professors and they said, look, you can get enough vitamin D if you walk out to your car or walk out to your clothesline, you know, during the day or come back, you don't need to sit out in the sun for 20 minutes during the middle of the day to get your nut, your vitamin D. But um, we, we got actually um, Braith and Astor and, 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 and Rachel Lee on board the foundation. And, and we love these guys are brilliant. I mean, Braith's so down to earth and he's such a legend, but, you know, their message is to go, don't tan because Rach used to tan all the time. And you can have a look at our website, Australian Skin Cancer Foundation.org. Uh, you know, Rach used to be really brown and, and tanned, you know, but it was getting her skin checked regularly. Um, but they picked up a melanoma on her stomach. And um, and Brave has said in, in numerous social stuff he's done for us, is you know, it's, it's changed our life completely. We had no idea how serious melanoma was. And, um, you know, so just if you you know just don't tan. It's not worth it, honestly. If you if you're laying out there and you're spewing today because it's sunny and you want to go out and tan because you want to go out in the weekend, you want to look good. You know, it's just not worth it. I mean, you know, life's way more precious. And when you come up, when you get a diagnosis with melanoma, you know, you wish the first thing you think is, why did I go and tan? Why why didn't I just get my skin checked? Why did I worry about a tan? Just be natural skin colour and look after yourself. Mate, you've done melanoma walks across the country and you've raised a hell of a lot of money. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so done free walks. So with James, we got together and we wanted to give back. So we got together back in 2012 and it was the Melanoma March where we put together after a couple of conversations together. And, you know, we just wanted to start start a walk. So I was working for a melanoma organisation at the time and we took it to the, the bosses. And, yeah, we, we, we got the, the Melanoma March across the line. And it's a great event these days. They've raised millions of dollars. And everyone comes together and, and walks for those that, you know, 
have been affected. And these walks have come out of that. So the first walk we did in 2014, we walked from Sydney to Melbourne. We raised $145,000 for research and that was 900 kilometres. Did it with a great mate, Andrew Rust. And then in 2017, we walked from Brisbane to Sydney and we did in 29 days, we did 1,200 kilometres. I walked by myself on that one. We had people walk with us every day. We ended up raising 250,000. And then in um, 2019, I walked from Adelaide to Sydney, 2,000 Ks in 50 days. Adelaide to down to Melbourne and then back up the coast into Sydney and we raised um, 606,000 for that. So it was a great effort, but uh, I'd love to take all the credit for it, but it's been one massive community effort. You know, everyone being affected has just come together and we've had committees for these walks we've done, just come together and just want to just cure melanoma. And, and that's why we got this um, Mission Melanoma event going. We just want to get out there for the month of March and just walk or run every day for 31 days and just try and raise money for melanoma research. And um, yeah, we're talking to the people that have been affected on where we give the funds to. Uh, it's, it's definitely going to go to melanoma research and we're just going to ask melanoma research foundations or, or, or you know, different labs and, and, and researchers to come together and, and they can apply for that funding and we give it to them to to, to, you know, maybe work on research and, and try and cure this disease. So what's the best way for anyone listening that wants to get involved? What's the best way to, to get in contact with yourself or, or through the websites? Yeah, so everyone's on social media these days. They can go onto our Instagram page at Oz Skin Cancer Foundation and they can click on the, the link in the bio and that'll take them through to register for Mission Melanoma. Or they can go onto the Melanoma Man website, melanomaman.com.au, or the Melanoma Man Facebook page, all the links are there, sign up as soon as you hit the pages. Yeah, we'd love your support. And, you know, as I said, all, all the funds are going directly to Melanoma Research. So we can't wait to, to raise as much money as we can. And hopefully we can cure this disease, mate. It's all we want to do, just cure it and raise awareness. And hopefully no one else has to go through what many of us go through. Mate, it's a, a great effort, mate. I can't applaud you enough. Now, but also you did get diagnosed with throat cancer in 2020. So how are you recovering from that? Yeah, very good now. It was really tough to go through that. I ended up getting a lump in my neck in, in, in about December 2000, probably this time last, December last year. And sorry, it was about 2020. I, I, I sort of got a bit of a lump in my neck. And yeah, I had the tests in, in January, February this time last year. And yeah, it was pretty scary. I just um, went in, had what I had 35 rounds of head and neck radiation and chemotherapy and what, 14 kilos and yeah, it was pretty pretty horrific to go through that, but it certainly it's made me even more determined now, more clear, and thank God for that. And I had a tumor on my right tonsil, and I usually go to the dentist every six months to get you know get checked up and stuff, but I couldn't go because of COVID, and and that's the dentist would have picked up the tumor on my tonsil, but because I couldn't go, it was delayed, and just one of those things where do we know it's related to the melanoma? Uh, we just don't know. There's nothing to pinpoint it, but they called it a squamous cell carcinoma tumor in my right tonsil, so. Um, yeah, it's pretty pretty horrific to go through that, but I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm all, I'm all cancer-free now, and it's just made me more determined to get out there and make a difference. So, um, you know, anyone that's got any sort of lumps around their neck and stuff like that or anywhere on their body, just go and get it checked. Don't delay because, you know, that lump that you think could be a cyst or, you know, that anything that doesn't heal, just go and get it checked because it could be something more serious and it could save your life. Mate, you would have gone through some dark times, you know, dealing with the, the melanoma and the, the recent cancer. How do you get yourself through that? Because so many people would be in the same boat. Is it doing what you're doing with the charities that really helps that? Yeah, it is. Because it's, it's in your mind all the time. You just sort of, you're aware. You become, I mean, these doctors go and study and they do, you know, 10, 15 years of research and study. But because you're, you're sort of, you know, you're around it all the time, you just learn so much and you become your own expert. But you know, through all this, I never give out medical opinion. Anyone, a lot of people come to me and go, look, I'm on this drug. Should I try this treatment or this or that? And I'm like, look, I, I just can't tell you what to do. You need to go and ask your treating doctor. But what I can do is connect you with a patient that is, has been on that particular treatment and you can have a coffee with them before you're about to start it, you know, and just learn off them about what side effects they had and stuff like that. And and that's that's really, you know, that's that's I get a lot out of that sort of stuff. You know, when... People are sort of, you know, unsupported. You know, that that's my kick. I like connecting people with, you know, people that they can talk to before they're going on treatment or, you know, or, or, or advocate for them and, and get them in the door. 
you know, these great research facilities, you know, like the Melanoma Institute and Peter Mack in Melbourne, you know, connect all these people and push them through the door and get them in the right place where these institutions are the top of the, you know, top of the field in the world. So, you know, that's, I get a lot of kicks out of that and just being in the background and just helping people, you know, guide them through this, this journey because it can be so lonely without support. So, um, yeah, you do become your own sort of expert, but I never give out medical opinion. I'm just all for supporting the people. Well, Jay, mate, it's great having you in the beach shack and, and telling your story because it's going to help so many people out there, one, that aren't sure on when to go get something checked and two, that have already got it and are trying to deal with it in their own way mentally. So, And how good it is that you're now recovered and got through the cancer you've been dealing with. But, mate, we uh, do a segment at the end of the interview, Five Fun Facts. Now, I'm going to throw these questions at you. You can answer them however you want. There's no right or wrong answer. So uh, we'll rip in and give it a crack. Mate, the first one is, uh, what's the most interesting thing you've read or seen this week? Probably the shark attack, that guy that got killed by a shark. That was pretty sad, actually. But, I, you know, when I seen that, it sort of sends shivers down your spine to think, your poor guy, you know, out there, out there swimming in the ocean and, and the shark got him. And, yeah, pretty scary. I mean, I'm petrified of sharks as everyone obviously would be, but I hardly go out in the ocean because I'm probably be like a beacon to a shark if I went out there. But yeah, probably that, that story of that guy that got taken by the shark was pretty horrific, yeah. What is the most unprofessional thing you've seen someone do? I guess probably when I was working, you know, I've been in this industry, industry for a while and, you know, I was with a, um, a volunteer and I had a, a manager come in and she just really tore shreds off me in front of the volunteer and you know I was really unprofessional and just had no care for the volunteer and all that and, and it really shook me up and you know and the volunteer as well and, and she was a great volunteer and we actually lost her through that yeah that's probably the most unprofessional thing but what it did teach me is how not to put someone else through that into the future you know just show respect and and and, and talk to people with respect you know it doesn't matter who they are favorite childhood memory when Parramatta won, won the competitions in, in the league through, through the 80s. Paul Taylor was a, was a friend of our families and um, he used to come to our house a bit and he'd get us tickets for the games and stuff and probably going to those games and I'm at Parramatta Stadium when it opened in the 80s and my nan going there and, yeah, that was probably the highlight, you know, the Parramatta, the Brett Kenny, Sterling and Eric Grove scoring his tries down the sideline, all those sorts of things. I mean, it's, they've got plenty of memories of Parramatta. Yeah, probably those, mate. If you had to change your name, what would your name be and why would you choose that name? Uh, Rocky Balboa, I reckon. Because uh, <laughs> you know, when, he, when he had the fights with Drago, went, went to Russia and, and um, did all that training as the underdog and he lost his mate, Apollo Creed, and you know all those movies. I still get them out when I do all the walks and when I do all my training for the walks, I listen to all the Rocky music. I mean, they come out all the time and they, they just make you train. And, you know, I do like 10Ks every day and sometimes we do the big 40Ks on the weekends and it's always the Rocky music that comes out. I mean, Rocky Balboa, mate, that, that says a lot. You know, he's, he's an absolute legend. I think that those movies will go on, you know, for lifetimes, you know, for people to, to get inspired and, and all that. And, I mean, you know, Sylvester Stallone, what a legend. I mean, Sylvester Stallone or Rocky Balboa, one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mate, tell me a time you failed and what you learned from it. This is an interesting one. I mean, I played footy all my life and, it's probably a talk in the pub when, you, when you're saying what could have been. But when I was 18, 19, I was, I was in all the rep teams for, for Western Suburbs. You know, I was in the, in the rep teams for Roosters and the SG Ball and, and um, uh, Jersey Flag. Uh, I was trying out. I was with Western Suburbs and I was training with Kenny McGuinness and Brett Hodgson and all those sort of guys anyway. And, and I got put up to the President's Cup team and, um, at Western Suburbs. This is in the off-season before Christmas. And... Um, what happened? My dad seen an article in the paper and he said, look, you know, Cronulla Sullivan have got an open trial session next week. Why don't you, why don't you go on and try out for that? And, and I was a young kid. I was only 18, you know, and, and I said, yeah, I'll go and try out. And this is when Johnny Lang and Shane Richardson came down from Queensland for the first year. And I tried out at um, Shark Park and they came down at half time and said, mate, I actually blitzed the first half. I was a halfback 5'8". And they said, how old are you? What's your name and all that? And I said, oh, you know, told them. And they said, why don't you come and train with us? And, you know, we'll put you on a contract after a month. And Anyway, my dad was there all, all excited. Um, so I went and did that and I left West, even though they put me up the President's Cup and I could have dropped back and played flag. And, and the coach was Billy Bowen of flag at under-19s and he, he he loved me. I was a halfback and I just got pretty much best and fairest at Apple Warriors that year and in the Group 6 competition. And 
anyway, so I went and stayed with Cronulla and trained the off-season at Cronulla. And I, I trained the whole off-season. used to do the Wanda Sandhills every Saturday and stuff like that. And, and I ended up getting um, cut. It was between me and myself and Adam Dykes who went on to play first grade at Cronulla. And I got cut at Cronulla and then... I tried to go back to Western Suburbs, but it didn't work. And, you know, a few of the family, the parents whinge because they said, oh, how can he be at Cronulla and, and come back to West when he didn't train the off-season? And so I went out – I missed out on West. And I went out and played Group 6, and my mates used to sit on the hill in a, in a car and smoke – you know, we'd have, they'd have um, uh, bongs and smoke marijuana in the car, and I'd go and join them after the training sessions. And, mate, I was only 19, 20, and – oh, sorry, I was 18, 19 the next year, and – and um, I used to just started smoking marijuana and, and I lost all my training and my confidence and all that. And had I just stuck at Western Suburbs and, and, and you know, they probably would have put me back the flag and went through the grades and I probably would have made it. You know, I, I felt that I was a really good footy player and not having tickets on myself, but I played it all my life. And, and Kenny and Kevin and Brett Hodgson and all that went on to play first grade at Western Suburbs and West Tigers. And, you know, and that was probably my biggest regret, mate. I, I should have stuck it out and... You know, I feel I could have played first grade and went on and, and you know, made, made a bit of my life. But, I mean, this is the way it's turned out and, and maybe I was meant to do this, this, you know, go along this path and, you know, obviously and, and inspire all these people and, and help a lot of people as well. So, um, you know, yeah, that's probably my biggest regret in life, mate. But, you know, it's a pub story where you say, you know, what could have been and stuff like that. Oh, it took me a while to get over it. You know, when I was a, a truckie, I started driving trucks when I was 21 and I'd pick up the Daily Telegraph you know, for your lunchtime, you'd read Kenny McGuinness has just signed a new million-dollar contract for Western Suburbs and Brett Hodgson's done this. And I'm like, you know, there's a lot of regret there. But <laughs> anyway, I'm over it now. So, yeah, it's just something that I regret, I guess. Mate, Jay, great answers uh, to the questions. And once again, mate, I, I, I'm very, very proud of what you're doing and I think you're doing a, a great thing for the community and everyone else that is on board. So, mate, and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Hoppo. And, yeah, appreciate all the support that you guys at, you know, Bondi Rescue have given, you know, our, 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 you know, different charities over the years and what I do. So it means a lot, mate. And, um, yeah, we'll catch up next year for the celebrity race down at um, down at Maroolan, mate. Look forward to it. Thanks very much, Hoppo. Yeah, definitely. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Now let's go to Beach Banner. Okay, this week in the Beach Shack, we've got Reedy. Welcome, Reedy. Oh, thanks for having me back, Hop. It's always good to enter the Beach Shack, especially when the sun is shining and the birds are chirping. Mate, uh, we've done the lifeguard race for many years now, and we've always been very competitive, and you've always challenged me. I've challenged you, other guy. You've challenged other lifeguards. So give us a little bit of a rundown on the years of the lifeguard race. Yeah, oh mate, I love I love the lifeguard race. I think I've probably only missed about two. I'm probably missing more as I get older, and just due to having to move up the coast and and stuff like that. But I've, I probably went. I've probably attended every every one for my first fifteen or so years on the beach, and I just we are competitive. Um, and it, it, it's it's for me it's it's better than the annual test that we have to do because. We cover basically normal courses. We run from uh, Bondi. It all starts at Bondi. It's usually handicapped. Sometimes we do one everyone off go, but we usually know who's going to win it if it's like that. So the handicap always makes things a bit interesting. Um, but, yeah, run from Bondi, around the coast, over to Tama, swim over to Bronte, and then paddle back to Bondi. So only a quick race. Sort of takes us about anywhere between 20 and 30 minutes, depending on the swell. But, um yeah, I've had some good rivalry with with uh, Chapo over the years. We've sort of, for a bloke that doesn't train, he still seems to go all right, or I'm just completely hopeless. But he, me and him always seem to be pretty close. Um, I think it's, I think I've got him. I think I'm about, I think it's about four three. But, but I also, I also look for where you are in the field, and um, <laughs> and what I've noticed is that, as I don't know if it's an aging thing, hop, or you've got less time to train because you're busy being you know, an entrepreneur and a man of the media, but I feel like I'm just closing the gap a little bit. And with it, with the lifeguard race coming up fairly soon, I think it's not too far away. I don't know when this, when this will make the air that I reckon I might finally get you. I, I think, I, I think I've got you in one or yeah. two. I think you're probably, it's probably about six, two or something, but, but yeah, I think, um, I think it could be your year to go down completely. What do you reckon? Yeah. I, I think you might get me. It's uh, the the run the run league these days aren't my best with the uh, the old calves. 
they they don't get, they don't like the running as much anymore. So uh, yeah, I think I struggle there. My back with the board, so yeah, everything's against me at the moment at uh, at my age. But uh, you know, I'd never like losing. So yeah. <laughs> the old the old calf excuse, mate. Have you got have you got a lifeguard challenge that stands out for you? For me personally, I reckon it was probably the one. And it, it doesn't stand out because I beat anyone in particular, or I just I just remember the night we were touch and go whether we were gonna whether we were gonna do it. I'm pretty sure they were filming this one, and I'm pretty sure Mikey, someone, not Mikey Robbins, maybe he was commentating down at Bondi, and we had Frank Gherkin doing the tote, and there was some full betting happening, illegal betting, completely illegal, but that's fine. Many illegal things happen in Bondi, <laughs> but I'll never forget as we paddled around Macca's Point. And I think it was a, I think it was a big nor'easter. And I remember looking over Ben Buckler, and I've never seen lightning like it. And I was just thinking, mate, we need to get out of here. Or we're going to be dead, mate. But luckily for us, the only one left when there was still lightning in the bay was Tom Bunting, and he is very, very, very disposable. We're happy to, um, we're happy to lose Tom Bunting every now and then. But he made it in safely, and it was just a, it was just, they're the best nights. And I think that's probably what we're looking at, something like that, because I think there's a big southerly coming, so that's probably what it's going to be like on um, on Wednesday when we race. But have you got one that stands out? Oh, mate, I, I do. There's, there's one where there was a shark sighted uh, before a race. Oh, and yes, we, had to, yeah. we had to decide, are we going to do it? it was, we were about to say go on, you know, on the line, and suddenly <laughs> the, a report comes through from Bronny, there's a shark getting around. and <laughs> So we said, we can't not do it, so... We uh, ended up going with it. I think there's a bit of swell that day as well. So it made it that little bit interesting, you know, because as you said, we run over to Tamar, but then I think we made the swim. You just had to go around the point, the best way you get around into Bronny. So for sharks, you know, that's not too bad to get around in close, close to the rocks, but then you had to do the board paddle. And I remember it was dumping out past the reef at Bronte and you just didn't want to lose your board out the back there. <laughs> no. Because... If it went all the way back in, it's a long swim when you're out the back and there's a shark cruising around underneath you. <laughs> Bloody long swim. That wasn't the year Ben Sutherland went down, was it? He, well, uh, I think he got you by board. I think it was. I think Johnny Robson went to punch over one and swung around and I think he cracked, <laughs> cracked old Ben in the, uh, in the head and he, he ended up having to, uh, I think he had to get an ambulance. He ended up going to the hospital. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah so that was a, it was one of those uh, unforgettable races. Wasn't the first time, and it probably won't be the last time. Johnny Robson's cracked a bloke. In the <laughs> Have you heard from Johnny Robson? Does he Johnny Mate, Robson? No. Geez, he's, yeah, he's, he's a long time. Uh, not not been around. Last time I heard, he was in the mines, and uh, that's oh, about okay. it. I haven't haven't Jeez, heard from him since. They wouldn't miss him in the mines. That bleach blonde hair, he'd be like a glowworm down there. <laughs> but it's uh, man, mate, there's been some great lifeguard challenges. There's been some great lifeguards come through. I mean, we could we could almost do a whole episode or a whole beach shack section on on ex lifeguards and where where are they now? Um, yeah, I, mean, I think you've had Laurie Williams on your show, who who's a great ex lifeguard. Yeah, mate, he's a, an ex lifeguard, and I think the best race that I've seen someone do was Scotty Thompson. I remember oh. he went off. I think one year he went off about 13 minutes or 15 minutes off the back. I think <laughs> second last, I think Harry's went off at about nine or 10 minutes. Yeah. And Scotty mowed everyone down and still came in across the line in first place. And that was just an amazing effort coming from way, way back. Mate, I'll never forget. He went past me as I was going around Macca's Point. And oh, mate, I don't consider myself a bad board paddler. But when he paddled past me, it was like I was standing still. And it was just – and I tried to get on his wash, mate, forget about it. And he just – yeah, I remember coming in. I think I came in like fourth that day. And, uh, yeah, Scotty just made us all look stupid. I think – I think, mate, I don't know how old he is now, but I think back then he was probably 45 or something. So, yeah, yeah. phenomenal athlete and um, just an honour to get to toe the line with him. Oh, he would be. He's a bit older than me. He'd be about 40, uh, 56 now, so he would have been probably mid-40s and – that was a bad effort from you, mate. You went off go, and, and that was not too bad, was it? <laughs> I, mate, I think the only time I've ever gone off go, because I don't reckon anyone ever wants me to win it because it would be embarrassing for the lifeguard service. The only time I went off nearly go was two minutes, not last year, the year before. And then I'm out in the middle of bloody off the twins, and I look up, and there's Chapo running the rocks, and I was like, you're kidding. I think, the, I think there was only about four people that actually made it round in that big southerly because when you're trying to swim Tam and a Bronny in a southerly, it's like, 
it's dead set like swimming on an escalator. So, um, but yeah, we've got another one coming up on uh, on Wednesday. I don't. I think I'll be. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll be off go. And but yeah, they'll make sure I don't win it. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> well, I think the, the the rule was that if you ever won it, you got handicapped out of it, so you could pretty much never win it again. But I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know if anyone has backed up the win twice. It's it's hard to remember now. Well, if anyone's going to, Chapo, now that he's running the race, I think he'll make sure that he wins it twice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Reedy, mate. Uh, it's always great. Good luck in the race anyway. I know it's coming up soon, and uh, we'll catch you soon in the beach chat. Thanks, Hop. Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. This week's letter is from John. Now, he's from Perth. He's a pool lifeguard, and he asked the question, a lot of wave pools are now popping up all around Australia and around the world. What's going to be the difference between a pool lifeguard and then working in a wave pool? Well, mate, it's a good question. I think uh, I've been dealing with a lot of wave pools, and especially the one down in uh, Melbourne Urban Surf, I think the uh, pool lifeguards are starting to struggle a little bit when the uh, the waves are there. It's becoming a bit more like an ocean lifeguard, even though the principles of being a lifeguard are very, very similar. So with wave pools, it's a different dynamic to be a lifeguard. So I think in the future, what's going to happen is lifeguards will probably have to do an ocean course, become a, a wave pool lifeguard. Easy though to train up pool lifeguards into that position but I think it just needs to be a bit more with water moving in the waves and probably at the wave pools to get that experience uh, but mate thanks for the question and hopefully you never know one day mate you might uh, be working in one of the wave pools thanks everyone for listening remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.